You are now listening to Leverage, the podcast about power, politics, and influence. I'm Crystal High Taylor. And I'm Brian Wells. Breezy, we are off to an epic and amazing start to Black History Month. Happy February to you, buddy. Happy Black History Month. And apparently we're starting it off with a bang, you know. <laughs> I think we're having a Black History past, 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 past month. Kind of like, um, what was it, the Christmas story? Right. <laughs> Instead of like a Christmas story and you had all the ghost past, we had a Black History past, <laughs> courtesy of current governor of Virginia, Ralph Northam. Uh, when it was revealed, he had a rough week, first of all. Can we talk he, about the man had a rough week? He had a week that mirrored what Jesus went through, except for that Jesus, we say we can all agree, was not guilty. However, yes, at the beginning, everyone was like, hey, you know, all hell, come on, Ralph Northam. And then by the end, they were like, Friday, crucify him. Um, It's time for you to step aside. Yeah, yeah. He he had a rough one. I mean, some of it was well-deserved, right? And I think... The, <laughs> I think the most uh, scandalous, or what became the most scandalous um, element of the whole Ralph Northam situation was, one, the refusal to um, accept the opportunity, at least thus far, to step down after the revelation of these pictures when he was, what was it, on Friday? Either that was him in blackface or the, or KKK, the KKK. Um, mass. And then by Saturday... He vividly remembers that it was not him. So I'm not sure. But this whole revelation, this problematic um, yearbook picture unfolding, like so many failures. Where do you even begin with that one? So I think we begin by making good on our promise from last, you know, podcast, which I think should be the (laughs) theme, right, of this year. We said everybody's canceled. And I believe that I had, you know, maybe we can cue the clip of when I said we was giving fair warning to all politicians and influencers, walk wisely. Well, Governor Northam, you have now become the first candidate of this cancellation. Um, (laughs) Because, you know, here's the thing, and not just him, his communications team needs to be canceled. This was just a problem all the way together, right? Because how you didn't do opposition research, like that is... Politics 101. Do opposition research on yourself. If you can't afford to have somebody do opposition research on you, do opposition research on yourself. Because if this was indeed not you, which is, you know, still up for debate, at least you would have caught that by looking at, I don't know, every yearbook, every baby picture. Let's look at your prom photos, see if you had a bad case of acne, which might be considered in some universe fair game, right? This is what opposition research. Carry it out on yourself first. Now, there's also the possibility that you did carry out opposition research and maybe the calculation you made was that this was not warranting enough that you thought that maybe the climate was going to save you. Which, again, you had a tone-deaf team. So in all ways responsible, you need to cancel your team because there was no way to salvage this. And when he went from, you know, Friday saying that it was him and he's taking full responsibility and this was a moment, but he's not going to step down, to Saturday wanting to make a statement and clear it up, the only statement you can make at this point is, I resign. <laughs> because you can't govern if the people can't trust you. And at this point... 
it's not that we're throwing you out of the cookout. You can show up to the black people's cookout if indeed you have changed, right? And and we're not saying that you are a racist, but your ability to govern and get stuff done is dead in the water now. So you need to step aside for the best of the party. You know what? what's interesting? Um, and I wonder why it didn't seem that either he or his team thought that this strategy would have worked. And that is, A, acknowledge that, you know what, this was incredibly poor judgment you know, on my part back in 1984, like come up with some sort of narrative that at least tries to legitimize why you did that in the first place, but then use it now, pivot towards a teachable moment. You know, like instead of just deflecting and try to act like, oh, well, that wasn't me in the picture, but I did at another party use black shoe polish, oh, my you know, face, as part of like my Michael costume so I could look like Michael Jackson. It's like you missed every single moment to really rise above um on the human level on this right because it's like i think i think you could potentially make an argument that while he you know clearly lacked um good judgment and engaged in racist conduct you know in 1984 if that was indeed him in those pictures you can make the argument that he has since progressed in the 30 plus years, you know, since then, and maybe he's evolved and it's reflective in his policy making any of those things, but like to sit there and miss, I think this chance to pivot and say, you know what? I've evolved. I can do better. I see the error of my ways. Let me outreach to the community and better embrace, you know, the people who I know are hurt and offended, help me do better. Let's create a more inclusive space. Like instead of going in that direction, it was all about let me deflect and come up with a stupid story, which undermines my credibility. You know, like I, I, I don't understand how they could be that tone deaf, but I think it would be an interesting exercise to look at his team and say how many people on his team are people of color? How many people are folks who, you know, have a greater sis- sense of historical context? And like, where were these people in, in helping to vet these ideas? But I... Well, I'm done with him. So He's canceled. Th- see, look, and, and here's I mean, my thing. None of the things happened. I'm done. Right. He's canceled. I just wanted to listen because I, I, I think, you know, you and I and Alicia were on the text chain in which I let it know full well before he even he put out his statement that um, other than I resign, there's nothing that he could say to defend. And to me, I was settled before he even made the first statement on Friday night. Why? Because for me, again, this isn't just, you know, forget the racial issue, right? Because I do believe that he has evolved, right? I do believe that it is possible that he has changed and that he is not racist. Uh, There's a difference. You know, he's Mm -hmm. ignorant in Mm -hmm. things. I think he is not racist. The problem is, though, we have to be able to separate that from your ability politically. Like politically, you were tone deaf. Politically, you are you you have now turned your second year into a lame into duck, a, into a, a lame show. duck governing chip. And show. right. And the, the biggest problem is, again, because you did not heed the calls at some point, if your team didn't tell you, which hopefully we're hoping they told him to do opposition research and they dug up stuff in themselves. Because I guarantee you, had you put me on your team, Ralph, I'd have come to you during your campaign <laughs> and been like, listen. Because literally, you walk into the yearbook space, this was not hard to find. And so, you know, even to take out the racial element of this, 
you have a lot of explaining to do in the fact that from a governing and a a uh, political lens, y'all have been inept from the beginning. So what priorities can even your party rely on you to do? And make no mistake, let's let's talk about two then things that we need to uncover. A, I remember because I'm bi-coastal, right? For all intents mm-hmm. and purposes, I spend equal amount of time in DMV as I do in LA. I remember in the election when he had airbrushed Justin Fairfax out because the unions had a problem. Whether that problem was racial or not, totally the fact that, that you that. took the only black person mm-hmm. in your quote-unquote mm-hmm. team of Democrats and airbrushed him out, guess what? It came back to bite you in the butt. But the bigger mm-hmm. problem of this is that now the beginning of this week, narrow and Planned Parenthood were all on team Northam because what did he do? He came out with these comments that, you know, um, the right was able to use in talking about him being for late term abortions. So again, surprise, mm-hmm. surprise, this is not this is not a coincidence that these pictures surface mm-hmm. in the self-same week. But what we saw is you have an inability in crisis to handle this the right way because you started <laughs> by taking credit for something that you now are saying never was you and never happened. Like we have no faith or credibility that you know even how to handle yourself on the issues to give us a win from here on. So the real winners this week is the Legislative Black Caucus of Virginia. Because if he chooses to stay in, what's to keep them? And, I, you know, if I'm running their ship, we're making it hot on you. Now, every statue needs to come down and that needs to be an unequivocal yes by you from now on. Northam, uh, Robert E. Lee Day, you can vote, forget all of that, right? We can we can have several seats on that. And should you not go through with that, that already puts you in a hot spot where you either go hard for it to make up for this part that you've made this fiasco now, or you go ahead and resign and step down, which is what you should have done in the first place. So let me ask you this question. How much of uh, this moment that Ralph Northam and his team are um, experiencing, do you think could be attributed to what seems like a broader moment right now where we don't necessarily demand the same levels of transparency, accountability, honesty in the statements that they make? Because, you know, look at how things are happening and the highest uh, levels right, of government in, in the country, you know? So do you think that some of that is factored in? So I will say, let me be clear, I find the highest level of government, a.k.a. Trump and all these cronies, um, to be abhorrent. However, I think we also need to acknowledge that this matters most because of the party that we're talking about. We are talking about Ralph Northam, a Democrat in Virginia, the large, you know, the, the last state to give up the vestiges of slavery in their cold, dead hands. Right. And and desegregation, Virginia v. Loving. So we have a deeper historical context that is part of a Democratic Party that African-Americans vote for at about 90 percent or upwards. So while we are disappointed in the rhetoric of of Donald Trump and of these Republicans, they are not necessarily seen as potential partners in the African-American community at the same level as we're talking about Democrats. So what this really is, is a time for Democrats to figure out what you're doing. 
what, what, you know, mm-hmm. will, what are you going to do about this? What will you stand for? Which is why I believe we saw a number of presidential candidates hop on early on Friday and say, listen, <laughs> we need you to have several seats. Um, we saw, you know, a lot of uh, bigger party members, the, the two senators from Virginia, some of these others really start to come out early and try to at least look like they're addressing this situation because this is a real problem more on the Democratic side than mm-hmm. it is on the Republican side. And this election 2020 is just like 2016. It's the Democrats to lose. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I know. It's like, and so where do you go from there? <laughs> how, how, how long do you think it's going to take for him to uh, resign? Um, I like. To or do me, you think he he's going to fight it? I mean, it's like because well, he, I, he said in his statement he was going to, you know, continue. And should he get to a space where governing was untenable, then he would consider stepping down. But I think anybody with any high IQ or even low IQ politically feels like you're already at that point, bro. You you're you're done. So it depends on how much his pride will let him. Because what he could do, if he really wants to, you know, let's take him up on the statement that he made in his his statement today saying that um, his pushback was if he steps down, it won't allow this to be a good teachable moment and his power. No, you could step aside and be a good faith partner in the Fairfax administration in helping to continue this conversation, right? As a private citizen. Um, but so it, it all depends on how, how much his pride is going to play into this. Mm-hmm. You know what I think is interesting, too? Like you mentioned um, something in there about political IQ. And when you want to talk about an example kind of in contrast to uh, Ralph Northam, you look at the level of political swag Justin Fairfax is flexing on y'all right now mm-hmm. in terms of his response, his public replies. Um, you know, not condemning the man, but certainly saying, listen, we need leadership and government that works for the best interests of the Commonwealth. And like he had, I I thought about you when I read um, his statement on, you know, Mm -hmm. today's latest, you know, the latest statements um, of Saturday there. And I thought about you because I was like, oh, Breon would be proud of this petty tea. (laughs) It's like, clearly, Justin Fairfax was sipping that petty, but accurate and necessary and very true tea all at the same time in response. Bonding. Yeah, he he did it in such a gracious way that he opened the door but did not kick him out. You know, he opened the door and was like, if the arrow happens to lead you to another room, um, may, you know, m- may the odds ever be in your favor. Hunger <laughs> Games, right? <laughs> may the odds ever be in your favor. And so, and and again, you know, I I do want to say though, it's it's worth repeating in this moment that I do believe that there is a difference between racism and ignorance. I don't believe that Ralph Northam is racist. However, he is ignorant and he is politically tone deaf. And what this has to do is you should step aside because you cannot deliver at this point for the people. That doesn't mean that black your black friends and the other people who very much do resonate with him as a friend will stop being friends with him. It's just saying, we're saying you can't come through on your promises because your credibility oh. what right right well what did maxine water <laughs> say about uh uh james comey earlier he has zero credibility he ain't got no credibility that's where northam is 
You ain't got no credibility. The Republicans don't like you after your your late term abortion <laughs> statements. The Democrats don't like you know you politically. God bless you. You know, Godspeed. So I'd say that's my final words. <laughs> so, so bottom line, uh, Ralph Northam is canceled. <laughs> yes. Cancer. You know what? I wonder if Alicia could put up in this guy. You know how in Hunger Games they had the face of the people as they would, you know, just with the little whistle. The, you know. <laughs> Maybe we need to start that. Ralph Northam's face is now up here. I can envision it. I'm done. You're listening to Leverage, the podcast about power, politics, and influence. Alrighty. So, my dear Breezy Breeze, and um, also ran news, um, <laughs> Cory Booker, Senator Cory Booker, has put his, you know, his, his presidency for he's, 2020 out there. He's made his mark. He has made his mark. Um, and he did it in a way that was um, professional petty-esque, you see, because he kept touting between this, you know, I'm the only, which is a fact, I'm the only senator and only member of Congress that lives in a space that is predominantly low income, you know, not necessarily throwing outward shade, like saying, I don't know what the rest of y'all are doing on my side of the aisle, but I... <laughs> I'm the only one that's down, ride or die for the cause, you know. There was even a um, somebody had spoken on his behalf as as opposed to how many times he shows up to um, CBC meetings as opposed to Kamala Harris. You know, again, no petty shade, but yeah, petty shade. You see what I'm saying? Because they're pointing to the fact that Obama didn't show up to a lot of CBC meetings and they are attributing that to some of the hesitance between that Obama CBC, you know, uh, friction in the beginning before it was all things are good about Obama. So, I mean, I like the drumline video. Did you see it? I, I, I like the drumline video. I was like, okay, sure. <laughs> I mean, there, there, there was kind of one moment when I was watching the video, I was waiting to hear, um, you know, little backdrop from one of my favorite movies to <laughs> I was waiting for that to like you know for that to switch up in the beat and I was like oh no I thought it was coming it didn't though um I think you know it adds an interesting dynamic to the 2020 pool uh it is still a very long time before primaries so I'm curious to see how all of these candidates learn to play together right. Um, in this space, I think the window, because we have what, eight official folks in now? Is it eight or nine? Eight. We're at eight I now. We're and at then eight. if you overlay, you know, maybe Uncle Joe, <laughs> maybe Cousin Beto, you right. know, I mean, it's like what we're. <laughs> right. Well, there's 12 others expected to drop their, their hat. I mean, this is, this is literally going to be mm-hmm. um, 2016, right? All over again because this early on yep. i mean it's like yep. primary season it, it it's a long slog until we get to like really figuring out who our nominee is going to be right and so, so <laughs> like you talk about funny. exhaustion like campaign fatigue think about how tired we all were like just to make it through is it bernie is it hillary is it bernie is it hillary and it was just the two of them you know 
Like with this right. field, we're going to be exhausted. We're going to be exhausted. So I'll say this. I think that though it's a natural, it's the natural space that we need to be, you know, that we as a country need to be in. Because given that both parties are trying to figure out more the Democratic Party than the Republicans, but, you know, trying to figure out who they are, that means that you need as many people that's going to be representative of the diversity that you Mm -hmm. have that throw their hat in the ring. That being said, there was another name that was put up in the forefront this week uh, um, for two reasons. Uh, But the one that we want to talk about, Jermaine, about this first is Stacey Abrams' name was put up as a potential to run. People are trying to get her to run for the presidency in 2020 because this was a a very strong figure. You know, um, I will say this. Of all the people that have put their name in the hat thus far, and especially of all the black candidates, we are talking about people that are qualified, that have at least some sort of track record that they can pull from, you know, and Stacey is 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 no different in that vibe. Um, I think that the black community is going to be interesting to see if she does take that on, how the black community, these black activists and black and brown folks respond to that, because, you know, one of the downfalls of both Kamala and uh, Booker is that as senators and former attorney generals or mayors, there's a track record of things that some black people in the community are not jiving with right now. I can't believe I used the 70s term like jive, but they ain't jiving with right now. And so, you know, Stacey potentially could be that one that if you weren't feeling the Kamala train and you're not feeling the Booker train, you might be feeling the Abrams train. And it doesn't hurt that she's about to give the rebuttal of the State of the Union address. Um, And so, you know, it was suggested the Democrats are maybe learning their lesson um, by having a black female give the rebuttal and a black female that is very popular and widely known in the country. (sighs) Yes and yes. (laughs) <laughs> That's where we are. Just, just yes and yes. I mean, like, it's it's going to be interesting. You know, we always have a lot of excitement, I think, when we think about, like, who is going to um, represent the party in response to uh, the president's State of the Union. And so, like, I'm, I'm, I am looking forward to um, how Stacey handles this moment, right? Because obviously it's a tremendous stage, but you know, I, I want to see what kind of character and flair and personality she brings to it. But also I'm really interested to hear the vision for our country that she's able to articulate, particularly in opposition to um, whatever, you know, the, the president says that night. So I'm, um, I, I'm just excited to hear her response, even beyond whatever she may or may not yeah. ascend to in the presidential race. You know, like I, I've already heard rumors of if Bernie Sanders, um, you know, enters the field, right, he would need to have a, a VP running mate who um, could help bridge the, the gap uh, that, that exists still between him and all of this Twin, i know but you listen see me giving you this but listen because i gotta you listen i gotta i gotta flesh side. out the flesh out the rumor slash the narrative but like in all of this to overcome to You're overcome right. right deficiencies skeptic you know uh skepticism all sorts of stuff right um that he would in such a situation pick stacy abrams as his vice presidential running mate so curious 
I'm going to take I'm gonna take the bait and I'm gonna bite just slightly. If he does such a thing, which I am not for and advising, I'm gonna take, you know, but if he does such a thing, he might also want to make sure that he diversifies his staff, and I'm not just talking about his campaign staff. Can we look at your Senate office staff? Hmm? So I mean, you know, again, we don't want we don't want Bernie to put himself in a space where we have to cancel him. You see what I'm saying, twin? I'm in this case, I'm trying to keep him from the cancel block because he's he is uber close. He is. I feel like also close. By the time this season is over, we will have canceled everybody. Okay, <laughs> we will be drudging back in reruns because everybody current will have been canceled. Okay, that's what that is. Uh, oh my goodness. So this is the thing. Then I think based on Stacey Abrams' past performances, and by that I mean you know she has experience in state legislature and every public appearance that we've seen her, she tends to rise to the occasion. She handles her business. I don't see any indication that she won't. Although I will say we have a myriad of examples where people on both sides of the aisle have um, gotten swallowed up by that moment of the rebuttal. I'm, I'm looking at Marco Rubio who took a sip, right? And then I'm looking at Steve Bashir. You got me dying. You got me who dying. Everybody was you. like, who are you? <laughs> I'm looking at Bobby Jindal, who looked like a little boy sitting in a big man's jacket and didn't quite convey, but he had substance, but it didn't happen. I don't think that that is going to happen for Stacey. And I am almost certain that given what has happened over the weekend with Ralph Northam, though she knows what she wants to say, I'm pretty sure that that is probably going to be in her mind of of somewhat of a rewrite or writing in to address the broader issues mm. in this nation. Um, so, you know, I mean, I'm I'm going to be tuning in to the State of the Union, and I would encourage everyone to do so, regardless of which party, regardless of whether one is feeling this current administration or not. Because remember, what did we say last podcast? You ought to be populating your little <laughs> black book. You see, this little black book that y'all purchased, you know what, Crystal? We should do that. We should make black have black books made, and then they can go ahead and per- you know what I mean. We can <laughs> like light the, the path, book. show them yeah, the way. You know, book. for like five ninety nine, you two can have your own black book of memories, political memories that you can jot down. Only if we put a pocket in it that collects the receipts. Okay, ah, so ah, black yes. book has a pocket that collects the receipts. I support this. You're listening to Leverage the podcast about power, politics, and influence. So, Brian, we are back. And, you know, I think we've been recapping on a lot of what was a really um, eventful week in the life and times of our country and of 2019, right? And um, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't take some time to talk about, um, you know, the unfortunate tragic, heinous, racist attack um, against uh, Jesse Smollett. You know, many people know him as an actor and activist, um, most currently associated with Empire. He plays Jamal Lyons. He's been um, a very engaged voice, um, you know, politically on social justice issues. He has been someone who's tried to walk through the world with lots of love and light. And yet, despite all the energy, all the positivity around him, 
he was attacked, um, mm-hmm. beaten, had a noose thrown around his neck, um, you know, w- had bleach poured on him, um, was called racist and uh, homophobic things by these. I don't even know what you call people like that. Like, it's not enough to say cowards. It's not enough. You know what I mean? Like, I don't. Right. <laughs> I don't even know what. what. It's still like a kind of situation that I think um, has shocked and, and saddened and disturbed so many of us. What What is your take on um, this moment? And if anything, what are things people can really, I guess, grasp onto right now? So um, a couple of things, and, you know, of course, first of all, definitely wishing Jesse Smollett a speedy recovery. Glad to hear that he is out of the hospital. Um, he even put out that statement, you know, that was talking about how he is recovering. He has recovered, you know, in, to some aspect. But on the same token, there's been a lot of misinformation put out there that he would clear it up all in time. But right now, he just needed a moment to process things. But he also put in another um, little line at the end of that tweet that said, basically, the only thing he knows is to respond in love, um, which is a powerful, you know, and and yet very suitable statement. Um, especially when it comes on behalf of the victim. It's one thing for people, you know, to suggest that victims ought to forgive and love, but it's even more powerful when these victims, and he was a victim, um, choose to love and choose to lead, not with, you know, not necessarily with a leniency that says this didn't happen, but to make sure that as they're doing things, um, he is doing it in a way that is loving. And in fact, it amplifies the movements that he is a part of and has been pushing. And so, you know, big kudos to him because um, he is one of those that seems to be very strategic, even in this moment where he has been vulnerable and been attacked. He has seemed, you know, to be strategic in this area. I'd also be remiss if I also didn't give a shout out to the National Black Justice Coalition that is run by David Johns. And the reason more specifically I do that is because in every area and in every sector, there is, um, of course, inequities which abound, including racially. And that is um, not, not minimized even in the LGBTQIA community, of which the National Black Justice Coalition is the only entity that I'm aware of uh, that is advocating for black and brown um, youth or youth of color who belong to that community. Um, and so, you know, they have come out in support of Jesse Smollett. Um, we have to be and we have to make sure that in these moments that we are affirming and supporting Um, people who have been impacted directly, but then also that we are using our leverage and our, and like, you know, Krista, you and I have the power of the microphone, you know, that we are pointing people to organizations on the ground that are actually doing the work because Lord knows there's a lot of organizations that sometimes capitalize on moments, but the, you know, National Black Justice Coalition is one of those ones that if people that, um, have experienced uh, homophobia, you know, and been the victim of attacks because of their sexual orientation or because of their gender identity, and especially as they're people of color, we need to shout out some of these other spaces. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think, um, you know, they, they're doing a tremendous job, and it's like we've been amplifying some of what 
um, David Johns has been putting out there. So I think that, you know, you could not be more right in terms of the need to uplift and affirm the work of the folks who are doing this work daily on the ground in Mm -hmm. and out, like dealing with people who are struggling through crisis in in many times because of the way the world around them um, is acting and treating them. And so I think, um, you know, that's absolutely right. I think there's also though, Brian, you know, one of the things I take away from this moment is just the, the fragility of, of life right now in this space and, and, how hard, how much harder, right? We've kind of backtracked a little bit, but how much harder it is to kind of just publicly be black in spaces, you know, not even specific spaces, just spaces, how hard right. um, that is. You know, you think there's now a growing list of things you should not do while being black. You know, you should not be a black, you know, uh, actor, entertainer. You should not be a black man walking in subway, you know, like you should not be outside in the culture, like th- th- this growing list of, um, real harm that, that is, um, I would say kind of like befalling the black community, right. In a different right. kind of way has been kicked up under this president. You know, I mean, there was already an ascendance, um, into, you know, more racist leanings kind of as Obama's turn wore on. Right. Cause you would see people getting restless and start acting out a little bit but then trump's uh the attitude and atmosphere that that he exists with in this moment has allowed that stuff to skyrocket and that that's that's scary (laughs) i think i I agree with you i think that we're also in a moment and the onus is let me be very clear the onus is on the proponents more like the civil rights organizations and these other spaces to make sure that in this time especially as jesse smollett you know has been targeted because this was all indications you know seemed that this was not a random spotting and sighting like they were looking for him and it seems that they targeted him that um these organizations learn how to communicate better on why anti-lynching legislation is necessary at the federal level and that they use this as a broader educational moment right to 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 provide for the fact that when you're talking about lynching you're not just literally talking about a a rope and hanging people you know anti-lynching lynching is extrajudicial (laughs) killing of of mob rules and so you know this is a moment that i hope that they don't miss in trying to help um coalesce a broader strategy that includes uh maybe its intersection with police brutality where that is extrajudicial it could be seen as where they did not get to go and have their say before a court of public opinion, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and, and that's not to say that in this case, Jesse Smollett was up to any any wrong. I'm saying what this means is this is a broader conversation where you have a mob that has decided that they're going to meet out some sort of justice. You know, two or more people is a mob that have now ganged up on people. It's time that... that uh, these civil rights organizations and some of these legislators that are behind this legislation that was, you know, in existence last Congress and is, you know, I'm sure to be reintroduced in this Congress, that they bring the broader public into this awareness of why it is necessary so that we don't take it for granted. No, I mean, I I, I think you, you could not be more spot on, Twin. There are lots of lessons um, that we can carry forward into some really important work. I think we need to add Jesse Smollett to um, our list of influencers like we did for 
um, um, yes. Cardi B yes. last week, you know, because these people are handling things right and adding credibility to the game where some of their colleagues might be, you know, diminishing these things ever so slightly. We see others who are like rising to the occasion and stepping up and, you know, really not just making statements. I think they're starting to learn. You can't just jump and deal with these complex issues with 280 characters on Twitter. You need to invest in some help, figure out the context so that you can directly speak truth to power and handle your business. And that's how you leverage things. And done. (laughs) The end. Until next time. (laughs) 